Good morning, everyone. Exodus chapter 14, if you would. If you can, or if you are taking notes, you can jot down the title, Slaughtered or Drowned. Slaughtered or Drowned. Exodus chapter 14. In verse number one. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots And Pharaoh, or excuse me, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal Zephon. Father, we want to uh, bow in your presence and confess our utter dependence upon you. Father, um, what needs to be done uh, through your word can only be done by you. You've given us a a beautiful picture in your word this morning of impossible situations. And even this morning, the victory that, that must be won, the victory that must be won in the next generation, it is so clearly an impossible situation. Father, I want to um, just cast myself dependently before you and ask that your word would be clear ask that your word would go out with Holy Spirit power. We ask, Father, that from beginning to end this morning, that you would own this time and that you would use it for all of your purposes to be accomplished. We acknowledge our God that we are in a spiritual battle. Uh, We joyfully um, acknowledge and speak in the presence of our God that for for every fallen angel, for every demon, there are two angels. And they're all active about us. Your word says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Father, we pray, therefore, that you would put your hand of protection over this place. We pray that you would open eyes so that we can see how you see. We pray that you would tug hearts, change hearts, minister the word of God to people. We pray that you would hand tools to your future servants this morning that they would hold on to for the rest of their life and would bring about the great victories of our God. 
Yeah, Father, please, we beg this morning that you would glorify your name through your word. Yeah, fill us with hope. Romans 15, 13, a God of hope. We pray that you would cause us to abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Help us to learn the lessons of the text. Yeah, we pray for your specific ministry, your powerful ministry. We pray that as a result of what you do this morning, that your name would be so massively glorified in coming days. Lord, your servant already prayed that we would be different. Thank you for progressive sanctification. Yeah, thank you that we are not anywhere close to a a resting place. We would say with Paul, not that I have attained, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. So please have your way this morning. We commit ourselves utterly dependently upon you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. So, um, slaughtered or drowned. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, between the devil and the deep blue sea? Yeah, kind of an old school phrase now, I think. Um, But that comes from this text, right? So, Pharaoh is a picture of the devil, and then you've got the Red Sea. And if if we were able to have a screen and and to kind of show the geography, um, the Lord has led his people. And by the way, this is that's a huge point. Um, here, go ahead and just notice it. Verse one. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. So my point is, this wasn't happenstance. The people of God did not just randomly find themselves in an impossible situation. We could look at other scriptures where you end up in a very difficult situation because of sin, right? In this case, it was the sovereign will of God. It was the sovereign leadership of God that led them between a mountain range and the Red Sea and the most powerful army in the world. Years ago in Afghanistan, um, uh, I I remember reading the note of a believer. um, As the United States was bombing Afghanistan, um, a note from a believer got out and was circulated amongst the Christians here with prayer requests. And, of course, there weren't that many believers in Afghanistan, but they were saying, like, how can the church in the United States pray for the church in Afghanistan? And, um, and they talked about um, running into uh, the safest place that they could find when they could hear the bombers coming. They couldn't see the bombers because they were too, they were too uh, far up in the air, but they could hear them coming, and they would run into the safest place that they could find like when the bombs were falling. Um, I have never been in that kind of situation. Like, I think it's probably fair to guess that none of you have ever been in that kind of situation. But, but the most powerful nation on the earth, and notice that in the story it said, Pharaoh and his choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt. So there was no moderation here whatsoever. The most powerful army in the world took all of its military might and was bearing down on people that had been slaves for 400 years. The sovereign leadership of God put them between a mountain range and water, and then this incredibly powerful army starts coming, right? And so they are either going to be slaughtered, right, from their perspective. We're either going to be slaughtered, or we can flee into the sea and be drowned. There's no fleeing this way. That's a mountain range. Yeah, so an impossible situation. 
right from the beginning, let's say, let's say this, and I love this. Um, if you read the story, you could basically come to this conclusion. If Moses would do what is possible, then the Lord would do what is impossible. Yeah. And I know we haven't quite gotten there yet, but, but as we go through the story, of course, and this is a great familiar children's Sunday school story, right? As Moses does what's possible, God does the impossible. That's our God. Oh, it's a privilege to follow a God like that, isn't it? Yeah, do you remember Lazarus? When Lazarus was raised from the dead, uh, the story, right? Roll the stone away. That was possible, right? They went, they went up, they rolled the stone away. And then when they did that which was possible and commanded by God, then he said, Lazarus, come forth. He raised the dead. He did the impossible. Little loaves and fishes, right? What, what is it that you have? I just have this little bitty, right, loaves and fishes. That's all I have. Like, for thousands of people, like, this is crazy, but this is what I have. Okay, give it to me. Okay, here you go. And then he takes that which is, which is, um, I mean, you, we do that which is possible, and then he, in his divine power, uh, glorifies his name by doing that which is impossible. I want us to be uh, encouraged this morning. Yeah, I really want us to be encouraged this morning. In um, 1996, Lynn and I were engaged. Uh, I went home and worked in landscaping. I attended Topeka Gospel Chapel um, that summer for the first time. And, um, and I, don't, I think I was number, if I'm remembering correctly, I was number 12 in the assembly that summer. And I had a delightful time fellowshipping with them that summer. Um, I flew off to Ohio, married Lynn, went back for our senior year at Emmaus. We really had no idea what was ahead of us. Um, now, uh, just to pause that for a second, four, no, three years earlier, um, a, a good, strong spiritual leader in the assembly had died in a farm accident. And people quietly around, around the Midwest, people quietly said, well, that's probably it for Topeka. Like it, it had just, it had been small for an awfully long time. Um, the clear spiritual leader of the past was now gone. Like it was an impossible situation. So long story short, um, boy, the Lord did an awesome work there. He took an impossible situation and he just started to move the pieces. I remember like this guy is a dear friend. Of, well, it's Will Carey's dad. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine. I think Will and Sharon are gone. I think they're headed home today. Um, but, but I remember early on, Bruce looked at me and he said, before we, we can grow, we have to grow. And I knew exactly what he meant, right? That, like when you're 12 people, you're, you're, you're kind of unattractive to the world around you. And he knew like God has to do a work here before we have the pieces in place that we can start to really function like a body. And he was right. And I remember those early prayer meetings and I remember those early outreaches. And anyways, I just want us to be encouraged that, that the Lord specifically leads his people into impossible situations so that he can glorify his name. Like that's our whole story today. In that decade, Topeka Gospel Chapel went from, now there's a, a bunch of details and a bunch of lessons along the way, but we went from, Lynn and I, when we moved back, when we were married, we're number 12 and 13. We went from 13 people to 130 people in that decade. Yeah, we had three redeemed homosexual women in, in fellowship in the assembly. We had a drug druggy slash drug dealer in fellowship, uh, now redeemed in the assembly. And like we could just tell story after story, a bunch of religiously proud yuppies that had been saved and, and were in fellowship in the assembly. Um, 
yeah, we had North Face people and Mormon people. We had every different kind of, we had every different kind of person. Um, anyways, yeah, but God delights in impossible situations. And I want us to be so encouraged. Again, Romans 15, 13, a God of hope will cause us, his people, to abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if Moses would do what is possible, then God would do that which is impossible. So let's jump into our story. I have six points today that I want to notice in the text. Point number one, Pharaoh's decision is to follow up. Notice it in the text. Pharaoh's decision is to follow up. And we just read it in verses one through nine. Um, He uh, thought about the fact that they had let their slave force go And he and his counselors didn't like that. And so he makes the decision, I'm not happy with the slaves now being set free and walking in the freedom and consecration that we looked at last night. And so he decides to chase the newly set free slaves. We can anticipate this tactic of Satan, by the way. We didn't talk about this yesterday, but we can totally anticipate this. In other words, we're seeing highlighted again that we're in a spiritual battle. This week is a spiritual battle. Amen? Yeah. Boy, I hope we see that. Yeah. And I hope that we're waging warfare accordingly. Namely, in prayer. Like, how are the the strongholds of 2 Corinthians torn down? In prayer. How are the footholds of Ephesians 4 removed? Right? It says, give no opportunity to the devil. The Greek word is tapos. That's where we get the idea of a foothold. Give no foothold through sin. That opens the door and the devil can reach into your life and influence your life. He can reach into the church and influence the church. Right? How's that dealt with? Through prayer, through battles, through the preaching of the word, and then repentance and obedience to the word. Yeah, this week is a spiritual battle. And then as we leave this place, we head back into a spiritual battle. So Pharaoh's decision, um, I'm not happy with people walking in this newfound liberty. I'm not happy with people walking in the consecration that chapter 13 talked about. And so I am going to chase them down. Now, the Lord had led them to a place, and it names three things. It says, Pi-Hahiroth, Migdal, and Baal-Zaphon. This is so beautiful. So they're between the devil and the deep blue sea. They're between a rock and a hard place. Like they're in an impossible situation. But look at these names. Macintosh gives these definitions in his great work on the Pentateuch. Um, Pihahiroth means place of liberty. So your current impossible situation, like what you are in the midst of right now, or, or maybe what you will find yourself by sovereign leadership of God in a decade or two decades if you radically follow him, right? That impossible situation that you say, oh, how on earth, like I see no way out of this. That situation, God looks down at that and says, that's a place of liberty. Like he can already see the Red Sea parting. He can already see the exit. He can already see how he's going to glorify his name through our impossible situations. Amen? Yeah, what a glorious God. Um, Migdal is defined as a tower or a fortress. You think you're going to be slaughtered or drowned. And the Lord says, you're just going to learn what a tower I am. That you can run into me and find safety. You're going to find that I'm a fortress to my people. We get to know God through impossible situations. Baal Zephon means Lord of the Judgment. You're not going to have to lift a finger. I'll fight your enemy for you. Yeah, how beautiful is that? 
you don't have to defend yourself, right? I'll defend my people. Yeah, so good. So what we look around and see an impossible situation, 600 chariots, choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt, captains over every one of them. That's verse number nine. Um, and notice the whole goal of God. In verse number four, at the end, 4b, it says that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Okay, here's a prayer request. I mean this with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. Uh, in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul begs for prayer. And so based on that example, I'll beg for prayer. Let's beg God, or I'm asking, would you begin or continue to beg God that North America will know that he is the Lord? Yeah. The next wave of work that North America desperately needs. There are three dominant pictures of the world in the Word of God. There's Babylon, which is the religious world. There's Sodom and Gomorrah, which is the filth of the world. And then there's Egypt. Egypt is the greatest picture of the United States. The economic might, the military might. It says of Egypt, in those days men could do great things. Right? The primary export of the United States of America is our technology. Like you could say of the United States of America, in those days men could do great things. Like this is a blessed land, right? Like this is the greatest picture of the United States that we have in the Word of God. Yeah, what a prayer. Yeah, I beg you. Like let's go forward praying that, the, that North America in a coming generation will know that He is the Lord. And then let's expect that He's going to lead us into impossible situations. Um, so that he can show his glory. Um, I love Las Vegas. In fact, I wore this shirt today on purpose. Yeah. I, we were driving through Las Vegas. We were spending one day there, and I said to my wife, I want to buy a T-shirt. And she said, she said I don't know, babe. <laughs> she said, you, like, like when people see you wearing, like not people that know me, but anybody, when they see you wearing Las Vegas, I mean, what are they going to think? Like, what do people go to Las Vegas for, right? Every kind of sin is legal there, right? And, and it's encouraged. What's done in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like, that's the reason that you go. I spent a week there with Good News on the Move back in the day, and um, I joked with our commanding assembly, Topeka Gospel Chapel. I remember before I flew out to go be with the young guys that week, um, on the strip, by the way, before that, I said to my assembly, just pray that the Lord holds off the fire and brimstone until we get out of the city. Um, yeah, and, but it would be fair to say that I hated it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm super ashamed. I'm super ashamed. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine Jesus Christ saying, I hate Las Vegas? It's not who Christ is. Yes, I, yes, hate evil, you who love the Lord. Like what Las Vegas stands for? Sure. Yeah, I hate that more than ever before. In fact, like we've, we've felt the pain of that kind of sin. The sting of that, the, the, the betrayal of that, the, the family pain of that. Like, yeah, we know all that. And we hate it more than ever before in our lives. But Las Vegas is a city full of precious souls. Do you remember how God talked about Nineveh? It's a great city. It's a great city. And then as you keep going through Jonah, right, it's an exceedingly great city. These days, oh, it's super fun to go visit these exceedingly great cities and to fellowship with God in his love for these places. 
there, in the greater area of Las Vegas, there's a, around 2 million people. I can't wait to watch the Lord do a work in that impossible place in a coming day. There are people right now that are praying about being on that future team. I have no idea if the Lord will put those people on that future team, but I know the Lord loves Las Vegas. And I know the Lord has directed us to work and pray toward the reaching of that city. And I also know based on Paul's epistles that if he were alive and if he were looking at North America, he would look at Las Vegas and say, that is on my list, like I am going there. 300,000 visitors from all around the world every week come to Las Vegas. It's a crossroads of the world. By the way, it's not more evil than Ephesus or Corinth. Like the Bible is filled with evil places. And the Apostle Paul didn't say, I hate those cities. He would go to these places and he would say that I might win the more. And then at certain places, like in Corinth, he would say a great and effectual door has been opened unto me and there are many adversaries. Impossible situations are where the living God glorifies his name. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. So when, when Pharaoh pursues his newly set free people, we should anticipate that. We are in a battle. Um, we, we want to daily acknowledge that we're in spiritual warfare. That, that's why we put on the full armor of God and hold on to our shield of faith. And we anticipate that the devil is going to fight against us. The more we step forward for God and follow him, the more the devil is going to fight against us. Okay, that brings us to point number two, the people's reaction. Let's read um, chapter 14 and verse number 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. That's a great, great, great tactic of the enemy. Yeah, that's a great, great, great tactic of Satan. They were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Yikes. Unbelief. Improper focus. A reaction of fear. I think we, it would be fair to say that we understand this kind of reaction. Like when we, see, when we see an impossible situation, that I think it would be fair to say we would see this kind of reaction in our own hearts. But man... Yeah, obviously an improper focus. Uh, the people of God in this text let the dust of Pharaoh's chariots um, eclipse their view of the living God. Yeah, so instead of looking at the living God, they were looking at a mountain range and a Red Sea and the most powerful army in the world. They were looking this way and that, like Moses did at the beginning of Exodus. Instead of what Moses had learned, that we must keep our eyes firmly fixed on the living God. Okay, point number three. Moses, or point number two is the people's reaction is to give up. Sorry, I don't think I gave you that. Point number two, the people's reaction, give up. It would have been better to stay in Egypt. As we see another wave of missions go out around North America and around the world in the will of our great God, as we see his great commission fulfilled in the next generation, um, we're going to see this repeated many times, right, amongst God's people. This reaction 
um, give up. Uh, yeah, uh, just one example. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, the guy who started um, Salvation Army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was an outpost in Salvation Army that, that had been working away and seeing nothing um, for quite a long time. And they were seeing other outposts bearing fruit, right? And, and they were working, but they were seeing nothing. And they finally, they cabled William Booth, and they, and they said to him, right, they laid out their problem, and they said, we, we really feel like we might be at a place where we need to, to give up and go back home. And um, he cabled back, maybe you've heard this story, but he cabled back to them two words, try tears. And, um, and they did, they got down on their knees and they began to pour out their hearts to God and they began to seek the God who works in impossible situations and it completely turned, turned the work around and led them forward in, in victory. Um, yeah, I anticipate uh, saying this and hearing this repeated thousands of times over the next 20 or 40 years, if Jesus Christ be not come, the people of God, the army of God moves forward on its knees. Like, that's how we're going to move forward in the next generation. Yeah, try tears. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Yeah, so, so point number two, the people's reaction is to give up. It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. Point three, Moses' declaration is look up. You're looking at the wrong thing. Uh, look at verse number 13. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. Notice the radical obedience that Moses has. Notice the radical confidence that Moses has. A year and a couple months ago, uh, the North American Week of Prayer, we spent a week praying uh, day by day in different ways that the Lord had led, that the Lord would radically grow the confidence that the people of God have in Him. Boy, the year that followed, that year, that week of prayer, oh, it was amazing to see the fruit that came from that week of seeking God and asking the Lord to grow. Show us our unbelief. Deal with our unbelief. Grow our faith. Grow our confidence. Uh, one couple uh, that we so respect, they've been, they've been faithful servants of God for, I mean, probably 40 or 50 years. They called this year and, and they said, hey, the Lord has done such a work. He's done a more powerful work in our lives in the last six months than we've ever had him work in our lives before. And he said, sometime when you have the chance, we have to set up a Zoom. We have to tell you what God has done. And so we set up a Zoom and, and we got on, like Lynn and I and this couple, and they, and they said, that which would have held us back from following the Lord just a few months ago, the Lord has taken away everything that would have held us back from following him. Yeah, just piece after piece after piece. And they said, basically, they are ready to go. Once there is clear direction, they are ready to follow the Lord anywhere. I love, I love it that they're a generation ahead of us. And they're, they're willing to follow. They're ready to follow the Lord anywhere that He would clearly lead. Moses' declaration. Look at the living God. Um, he says in verse 13, uh, these Egyptians that you see today, you will see again no more forever. He guarantees them victory. So we just see these themes over and over. Man, these are things we can hold on to. 
We go forward under Christ's banner, guaranteed victory. Awesome. Situations that are out of our control are firmly in our God's grasp. What a good thing to be reminded by, by the Word of God. He says, do not be afraid. I love that in verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Boy, these are good verses to hold on to and to quote to ourselves, to write on note cards and put on our mirrors. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Yeah, so Moses' declaration is basically trust God, believe God. He purposely leads you into impossible situations so that he can miraculously glorify his great name. Yeah, the Freedom Team, uh, a number of years ago, um, it was December. It was a couple days before Christmas. And um, we had a need as a team, like there are individual family needs, but then there's team needs as well. And we had a need as a team for $10,000. And, um, and it was just the three families at that point. We have six families now, praise God. Um, but those three families, the, the men uh, talked together and we said, we said to each other, this is a perfect opportunity to share this with our kids, with the little ones on the team. And then we can all pray together and then we can watch the Lord provide. And when the Lord provides, then our kids will see the hand of God. Remember earlier in Exodus, this is the finger of God. Like we want our kids to see that, right? And so we, we got together. We tried to explain what $10,000 was. And um, one of the guys, he did a great job. He was like, you know our vehicle? And the kids said, yeah. And he said, it's like three of those. <laughs> and they were like, okay, okay. So it would be to buy three of our Suburbans, like that's, you know, it would take $10,000. And they're like, okay, so that's a lot of money. And we're like, yeah, that's a lot of money. <laughs> anyway, so, so it was a simple little prayer meeting right? It's not like seeking a false god. Like you're not wailing and cutting yourself and trying to get his attention and right being dramatic. It's simple. We had two people pray. Lord, we need as a team $10,000. Would you please provide $10,000? Two people basically said that in their own words. And then I don't remember if it was a day later, if it was two days later, like I don't remember. But, but someone handed a team member a white envelope um, with a check in it for $10,000. And I remember um, texting the guys on the team and saying, hey, it was Christmas Day. And I remember saying to the guys, we have to get the kids together. And I said, I know we all have plans, right? But even like 20 minutes, like we have to get people together. And so we got together in Dan and Cindy's apartment. We got all the kids there. And then we passed this check for $10,000 around. And, and I remember little kid after little kid like looking at it and then it dawning on them what they were looking at. And then with their mouth open and their eyes wide, they would pop their head back like this. And then we sang, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And we just praised God on Christmas Day. And, and those kids, I hope, uh, will never forget that. You know, my son, um, by the way, when my son, uh, we all want our kids to walk a straight line to Jesus Christ. And some kids do that. Some kids don't do that. Our son did not walk a straight line to Jesus Christ. And when he was kind of obeying his flesh, and when he didn't actually want, he was looking for reasons not to walk toward Jesus Christ. He used to come to me um, in his carnality, and he would say, Dad, how do you really know that all this is for real? And then he would answer his own question. right? I, before I would even have a chance to speak, he would say, 
my whole life, I've seen the Lord answer prayer. Yeah, it's good for our kids to see the hand of God, the finger of God, isn't it? Like, this is what we want. So Moses says, um, look up, do not be afraid. Be strong and of good courage. The Lord shall fight for you. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Yeah, such incredible, uh, incredible lessons. Now, he's gonna give, God's going to give them something to do. Point number four, God's decree is to lift up. God's decree is to lift up. Let's read it. Verse number uh, 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall, you shall hold your peace. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh, and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Yeah, again, in verse number 18, um, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. There's our prayer request, again, for North America. So God's decree is lift up. Now notice two primary instructions here. Go forward. I love that. That's kind of my primary desire, my driving force in life right now. Go forward. I love David Livingston's quote, I'm prepared to go anywhere for the Lord as long as it's forward. Yeah, I love that, right? Lord, help us to go forward. And then I love the combination. Go tell my children to go forward, but lift up your rod. Oh, man, brothers and sisters in Christ, there is incredible wisdom in this text. When you receive the specific direction of God, which is what is happening here, tell my children to go forward. When you receive that, it is possible to then go forward and to try to make it happen in your own strength. That is disaster. Go forward, but lift up the rod. Now, I know I'm skipping ahead in the text, right? And we're not even going to get to this this week. But, but please, do you remember the, the, the picture in Exodus chapter 17? Moses was on the mountain with the rod of God. Aaron and Hur were beside him to help him lift up his hands to the Lord. Joshua was with the army down in the valley fighting the Amalekites. And as long as the rod of God was lifted to the Lord, then there was victory in the valley. And when Moses' hands grew weary in prayer, a great picture of prayer, like Luke 18 says, pray and faint not. First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. Right? All these admonitions. Why? Because there's victory when you go forward, but lift up the rod. Again, the army of God moves forward on its knees. That's how we fight the next, the next generation. This is what the living God has taught us. Right? So go forward but lift up the rod. So um, go forward, you could jot down. There's a time to pray and a time to obey. Now, please don't think that I'm saying you pray and then you hang up the phone and then obey. Right? That's not what I'm saying at all. You pray, and, and so prayer is not the end of the work of God, but it's certainly the beginning of the work of God. And then as you go forward, right, you lift up the rod. So you continue on in utter dependence upon God. In our story, you lift up the rod and the waters part. 
And I know we haven't gotten there yet, but you get on the other side and then you again lift up the rod and the waters go back. Dependence upon God, right? You're not winning the victory that God has led into. God is winning the victory every step of the way. So dependence on God. Um, in, in the process of the assembly in Topeka, Kansas, going from 13 people to 130 people during that season, um, we were burdened. Uh, we had this season where the Lord sent four preachers through Topeka Gospel Chapel. Uh, the first one is a man from Iowa named Dwayne Brown. Um, he has, as Mike Atwood affectionately says, the gift of the tear duct. And um, he loves souls. Yeah, he genuinely loves souls. He's a laborer for souls. And he stood weeping in our pulpit. And there was just a little handful of us. He stood weeping in our pulpit. And he said, I think we're not out there telling them about Christ because we love ourselves more than we love them. Yeah, and then I remember the prayer meeting that took place, like that was Sunday. So the prayer meeting that took place Wednesday, we repented that we loved ourselves more than we loved the Lord. And then the Lord sent us another man, and I, the details get fuzzy eventually. Anyways, we were burdened. It was just message after message after message. Oh, the next guy was John Sinclair from, from outside of Ottawa, Canada. Um, and his message, the rebuke against Israel for fruitlessness based on Isaiah chapter 5. And then I remember Wednesday night, we repented that we were fruitless and that it was our fault, that God had put his finger on the issue in the assembly, that it was our fault, and we asked the Lord to forgive us and to lead us out of into fruitfulness, which is what John 15 describes, out of fruitlessness, which we had caused through our own life choices, um, our own affections. Yeah, anyway, so just guy after guy, four weeks in a row, finally we were burdened um, to, to see the gospel go out. And we chose the vehicle of evangelistic Bible studies. And so we began to pray. And I really appreciate this. The oversight at the time, they said, let's pray for, for six months. Like this was the spring. Let's pray. And then we will work toward being prepared and ready for evangelistic Bible studies to happen in the fall. And then again, Good News on the Move came through um, and spent like one or two days in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, one of our guys from the assembly went with one of the Good News guys and knocked on the door of a young man named Alex, who was probably in his 20s, I'm guessing. Or no, probably, yeah, probably 30s, I'm guessing. Anyways, they began to engage him about the Word of God, and this is what he said to them. He said, you know, the Lord has brought people into my life for 20 years to tell me what you've been telling me today. It's about time I did something about it. Would you be willing to study the Bible with me? Yeah, so the unbeliever um, asked, uh, asked us for an evangelistic Bible study. Now, what do you tell him at that point? We're going to pray about this for six months, you know. Yeah, no, you, like the Lord said, go. Like there's a time to pray and then there's a time to go forward, but you're not going forward in your own strength. You're going forward in utter dependence upon God. Does that make sense? Yeah, by the way, Alex never came to a study. He never came. He never followed through. But the Lord used him to start the study. And that first study, to the best of what I can tell, four people came and three people accepted Christ in that first study. It was the first fruits of, of what the Lord would do in that decade, right? For, for the glory of His name alone. Yeah, it was a beautiful time. Yeah, so go forward in utter dependence on Him. So there's a time to pray and then there's a time to obey, but lift up the rod. So utter dependence on the Lord. He has so many ways to remind us of this. Utter dependence on Him. Utter dependence on Him. I remember when our daughter was, was like this tall. Um, 
I remember this because, because the part she played in the story. She used to bounce everywhere that she would go. And um, I would call her the fallingest kid in the world. She would love this if she was here. And um, like she would like run into walls and fall down. And, and um, yeah, it was just, she was such a fun kid. I love her to pieces. Anyways, one day uh, we lost our keys and we needed to leave. And so we were looking all over our house for our keys. And you're looking, 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 looking. You've heard these kinds of stories over and over again. Um, and then finally, I said, we need to stop. We need to pray. Right, So Danny, Rebecca, Lynn, me, we stop. Again, simple little prayer. Right, You don't hold a four-hour prayer meeting. You just say, Lord, we need the keys. We need to find the keys. And so we asked him very simply, in Christ's name, that he would help us find the keys. And then we said, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And my little daughter went bounce, 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 jumped onto the couch, and we heard the jingling. Right. And then we walked over and we looked and there were the keys right there. Yeah. And you guys have experiences like that. I know that I know that you do. And they're simple little reminders that we go forward in utter dependence on God. The army of God moves forward on its knees. So in this section, Israel moves forward on dry ground in verse number 16. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it. The children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Yeah, amazing, miraculous. The Lord, the Lord will pave the way for his will. So we think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. The Lord calls you to things that seem utterly foolish from a human perspective. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what will the Lord do? Yeah, he'll direct your paths. You look into that Hebrew word, it means he will remove obstacles from your paths. He will straighten out your paths, right? You will sense the help of God as you trust in him with all your heart. Lean not on human wisdom, like Isaiah 30. My people make plans, but not of me. They make plans, but not of my spirit. Yeah, like it's not, it's, it's dishonoring to God to go forward in any way other than, than radical biblical dependence on him. Yeah, yeah. So Israel goes on dry ground. Okay, point five, forward to victory. Um, I'm not going to read it, but 19 to 31. Um, Moses lifts, his, lifts the rod of God. The, the waters are parted. Israel goes through on, on uh, dry ground. When, when uh, the Egyptian army tries to go through, of course, Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian army are drowned in the midst of the sea, which produces the praise in, in Exodus chapter 15. Um, do notice that, again, like Pharaoh's firstborn had already died under the judgment of God. Pharaoh um, had given declarations that would drown the Hebrew babies. Do you remember that? And so you do see irony here, right? And so Pharaoh ends up being drowned, right? Yeah, like it's really not smart to oppose God, an all-powerful God. Yeah, and Pharaoh meets that end. How many chances did Pharaoh have to repent? Yeah, maybe we'll end with this. How many chances did Pharaoh have to repent? Yeah, it is really not smart. Like the book of Hebrews would say, today, if you, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the wilderness. Yeah, that's a warning from the word of God. Yeah, maybe we'll end that way. Today, if you see his example, 
Today, if you're reminded of these glorious truths from the Word of God, today, if you read about Pharaoh in the Word of God, harden not your hearts as in the wilderness. Lynn showed me the other day. Um, yeah, God was angry with them in the wilderness for 40 years. That's amazing. Angry with them because of their disobedience, their unbelief. Yeah. So Lord, help us to learn lessons and not, not copy Pharaoh. Uh, to go forward when it's time, but in utter dependence on the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, beautiful pictures. Uh, the historical narratives are so rich. 1 Corinthians 10, these things are recorded for our benefit. And so we pray that we would benefit today. We pray starting with me, but not ending with me. We pray equally for all the people of God that are equally desperately loved by you around this circle, that you would have your way in every one of us. If it's lifting us up, raising us up to see workers go forward, knowing these lessons, the army of God moves forward on its knees. Go forward when you have clear direction, but lift up the rod. Whatever point it is that the Holy Spirit of God sovereignly knows that each individual needs today, yeah, do not fear. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Whatever it is, Father, we pray that you would have your way. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your ability to minister to our needs. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, amen.